Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome everyone to the fourth Nightlight show this week. We have a return guest because his band has a terrific new CD. Greg Martin is the lead guitarist for the Kentucky Headhunters. He has been the host for the last 20 years for his show, The Lowdown Hoedown, which airs Monday nights from 8 to 11 p.m., Eastern on WDNSFM.com. The Headhunters' new CD is entitled That's a Fact, Jack, and it's a terrific one. Uh, You can learn more about um, the Headhunters' uh, remaining uh, date. We're going to talk about that here shortly. Um, Ordering the new CD news by going to their website, KentuckyHeadhunters.net. Hi, Greg. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm, I am. Thank you for returning to Nightlight. It's going to be a lot well, of fun. To, uh, for How long has it been? Has it been a couple of years or something like that? I can't remember. Uh, it, it was a couple uh, – just a couple years. Um mm-hmm. I think you you uh we did a Rod Serling night gallery episode for the first hour and you came on for the second hour and oh, okay. um that was uh interesting combination of uh topics <laughs> that night it was uh it was about 2 years ago I think and I'm just glad you're back. You know, you're thank you out out with uh, that's a fact, Jack. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's 
start with uh, – I have to reach over all – like I have this like wall of nine CDs you know, to help <laughs> prompt me. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's going to be an avalanche of stuff getting knocked <laughs> over at some point, but okay. uh, you know how that goes in, in your uh, – Studios on Monday nights, but um, let's start with some of the basics. Uh, you you recorded that one as well mm-hmm. as on Safari at the uh, Barrick Recording Studio in Glasgow, Kentucky. Uh, yes, sir. Um, the, the the funny thing is, though, there there were like two different rooms. Uh, Barrick has moved several times in Glasgow. I don't know why. He's, he's about like my grandparents were back in the, the, the 60s, I guess, you know. But anyway, he, uh, he uh, let me think about this, because uh, when we did on Safari, that was, two, you correct me on this, I think that was 2016. Uh, spring of 2016, right. we recorded that. And uh, we recorded that at his studio, uh, on Main Street in Glasgow that was above the old music store. And, man, we knocked that thing out real fast. Um, of course, we hadn't done a studio recording since then, so we went in the studio uh, early in February. I believe it was February. And Barrick had moved. Now, this is what's crazy. He had moved from Main Street over to another building uh, that I'd done a little work over there, but the, the headhunters had never worked over there. But now he's in another location. <laughs> he's in another location. So uh, are we the guinea pigs? I don't know. No. <laughs> it's, uh, he does great work. But, uh, yeah, we always recorded Barrick recording. I mean, he's local. Uh, we don't have to really – we can all go home after we record. The only one that has to travel is Doug Phelps. He lives in Hendersonville, so he'll come up here and stay two weeks or whatever, you know. Okay. So with um, you know, the insanity that has gripped the world over the last couple of years, um, mm-hmm. how problematic was it, you know, Getting to the studio, you know, you know, we get get into, you know, did did you have a lot of material already written, or did you write it in the studio? How, you know, what's some of the creative process going on during this chaotic time period? Um, well, all of the above, I guess. Um, we did our last official show. Before the pandemic hit, uh, mid last last February, uh, mid February, I can't think of the date now. We played in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, at the Birchmere, and oh, yeah, at the Birchmere, really, really, you know, you know that room, right? Yeah, it, it's uh, a prestigious East Coast venue. Yeah. A really nice room. We had a good show at night too. And, you know, and we, we had about, we were supposed to have about, I don't know, that was mid-February. I think we were going to have about three to four weeks off. And then and sometime in March, we were going to start back to our touring, you know. The, the year would slowly 
start back up. And, and yes, we would probably start thinking about doing a new album even last year. But as you know, we got home, and all of a sudden we started getting notices from the agency that, of course, we, we've been hearing rumblings about uh, the pandemic and about the COVID mm-hmm. virus. And, you know, next thing you know, our dates start falling out. So before the pandemic hit, I think we had done maybe four shows, you know, up to up to February. And then after it hit, we may have done another five, five or five or six. And actually, uh, last November thirteenth, I missed because I actually had COVID. Uh, you know, I, I went through that that ordeal, and uh, so <laughs> the guys. Chris Robertson from Blackstone Cherry out sub for me on that that day, but uh, it was problematic for the industry. I mean, it was a terrible uh-huh. travesty, and um, I, only thing I can tell you on a personal level, it was kind of good for me to be home with my family, and and I pretty much got my basement cleaned back up. It's it's in a little bit of mess right now, <laughs> you know. But my, my, my basement had become this abyss of guitars, CDs, albums, books, junk, just a lot of stuff. And you gotta realize I've been on the I've been on a bus for twenty twenty uh, I'm sorry, longer than that, forty years on a bus. And before that I was in a van. But we moved into this house at the end of nineteen ninety and you can imagine just over time uh things just start piling up. And and in the back of my mind, I was like, "Well, I can't clean this mess up till I retire," you know. But when the pandemic hit, I I got a plan together. I got I got enough energy and enough stamina, and I got a friend that had just retired from being a janitor at the local hospital all summer last year, getting his basement cleaned up. And I'm happy to say that it's a uh, I'm starting to use it again, you know, for certain things. So that was the upside. <laughs> that was the upside. Of it. Uh, and even when I got COVID, my my case wasn't extremely bad. It, you know, I, I just had to stay isolated, and uh, it was mostly congestion uh-huh. and fatigue. And uh, of course, if you lay around for uh, what well, it was two weeks, and at that point they were saying two weeks, and. and I just got got real fatigued. Even if you lay around, you even get more fatigued, you know. <laughs> and uh, but I don't know, last year, I, I kind of have mixed feelings about it. It wasn't. Uh, I mean, for the industry, it was terrible. But for on a personal, uh, I, I I really enjoyed being home. You know, I really did. So and strength. So with, I got a break. So, so with 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 the uh, downtime, is that when you wrote uh, Shotgun Effie. Oh no, Shotgun Effie! Shotgun Effie was actually I wrote that in 1973. Oh, that's it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that was. I wrote that. I lived in uh, Memphis, Indiana, in the summer of 1973, and I started that song up there. I had a little trio together with a couple of friends. Tommy O'Neill and uh, Mike Perkins, and uh, I just wrote the song. I wrote it about Richard and Fred's grandmother. Her name was Effie Young, 
And then that band, when that band broke up in Indiana, Richard contacted me that fall about Epi wanted to fund us going into the studio and recording a single. And I brought that song down, and we fleshed it out and, re, you know, revamped it a bit. And uh, there, there is a recording of that from 1973. I, some people say 74 because the single didn't come out until 1974. But that song is way back. But Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, but that, it was something that we needed to do because it was just, it, you know, there was a, there's a version of it. You can actually go out and look up Shotgun Epi Itchy Brother, and you'll hear a very archaic version uh, of it. I, and, I, and as you know, I don't sing that much. <laughs> and my chops aren't really that that up on singing. And, you know, but, and, but when you go back and listen to this version from 1973, you know, my, 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 my voice was really high <laughs> at that point, you know. So, but anyway, we just, uh, why, why, why did we bring it? I, I don't even know. It was, uh, they wanted me to sing Cheap Tequila originally. Fred wanted us to do it. And I said, you know, and I tried it. And I, I, I just didn't feel it. And, and I said, Fred, you keep bringing it up. You need to do that one. Why don't we just go ahead and do Shotgun Epi again? We did it, and, and it just, uh, it, it, you know, it, it was just something we needed. It, it needed some closure, so to speak. Okay, so, since uh, you, you just brought up uh, cheap uh, tequila, uh, that's what the only uh, cover out of the. Uh, Twelve songs. You, you just do, uh, you know, one cover. It's a you know a Rick Derringer song. Do you, uh, why did you choose Cheap Tequila? You know, did you you know know Rick and have to get uh, permission from him, or you know doing more of like a ode to uh, Johnny and Rick's version of it? Uh, what, what's the story behind choosing cheap te- tequila for that's a fact jack um it was fred's idea fred has been after us to either just work it up or record it for years i i, I can remember him talking about that song back in the 90s wanting us to do it and it was all Fred's idea. I never would have really thought. I like the song. I love it. I love Rick Derringer's mm-hmm. version, and I love uh, Johnny Winter's version. And and we do know Rick, and we knew Johnny Winter, but uh, we didn't actually get permission from Rick. Uh, I tried to contact. I had his uh, email address, but I don't think it's it, it's good now because I want him to know we were going to record it. I still don't know if he knows we did record it. You know. <laughs> which is crazy, hmm. you know. But uh, there again, when we recorded it, I sang it the first time, and I said, guys, I, I, I'm not feeling this myself, you know. And, um, and and we intentionally tried to take it away from either version. We kept the melody the same, of course, but we, uh, we changed, you know, we changed the music around a little bit. It, it's way different than Johnny or, or Rick. For sure, you know. But uh, it was that was Fred's inspiration on that. That was Fred Young. 
Okay, and, he, you know, and Fred is singing a cup of tea too. Yeah, yeah, he sings cup of tea. He wrote that, and uh, I don't know what that that song is. An interesting little song because it reminds me. The music sounded like it came straight out of 1966. You know, maybe it was a an outtake from a Sonny and Cher session. <laughs> it's definitely got that vibe about it. It's a different thing for us altogether. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, is that a? Uh, it was cup of tea. Some kind of uh, follow up to the the tour of England. It must have been. It must. I, I'm sure. I'm sure it was. Um, it must have been inspired by that, because um, I mean the the lyrics all point to, to to London and England and all that stuff. Yeah. It, so I guess he was inspired by that for sure. It, it, to, with uh, all you know, the singing that uh, you know Fred does on the. Uh, Couple songs and you know the keep, keeping time. Uh, do, does he ever miss a beat? There's like so, so does, much going on. Um. Well, now you're talking about when he's when he's when he recorded this stuff, or uh, well, you know the the thing oh, is, Mark. He's really go good. Oh, oh, Fred, Fred, Fred. A phenomenal drummer. He's a great drummer. We're very, very in the pocket. Um, you know, we would record the music first. Then we would go back and put the singing on later. Is how we how we always do that. Uh, and, you know, somebody. I think Richard maybe sang the the scratch vocal on that one. And then Fred went back. Actually, Richard sang the scratch vocal on Shotgun Ampy. That way, I could concentrate on the the rhythm guitar. So it's always good to have somebody, you know, just singing the scratch so we'll know where we're at and everything, you know. But uh, Fred nailed it. I mean, the whole every every session, I think he was on more than anybody, really this time around. Yeah, you know, you've had a chance to get out to um, some of the venues. Uh, you know, throughout the fall, um, it, how the fans are responding to the the new music from That's a Fact, Jack. Well, Mark, we're, we're the only song we've been doing live since probably back in the summer is uh, Let's All Get Together and Fight. We haven't really worked up any of the new stuff yet for, <laughs> for live. I know it sounds crazy, right? But we'll have to, uh, you know, we'll, on this break before we go back out on the road next year, we'll have to get together and go. Well, we need to work up at least four or five songs. You know, we won't do the whole album, but uh, I mean, you know, the response to let's get together and fight, let's all get together and fight, has been it's it's been really really good. I mean, there's been a couple of times where people are kind of looking at us like. What are you talking about? You know, uh, but if the further south you get, the more they get it. 
where they get it, you know. <laughs> uh, I, you know, but but you know, I think whenever if they listen to it, they know we're just kind of having fun, you know. Um, but 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 that's the only song we've played live so far. Um, now, it, it it remains to be seen how they're going to react to the new stuff. But I I think they'll like it. I think they'll they'll be okay with it. You know. Oh. Yeah, it um, <laughs> it's it is a good uh like a v- vignette of you know the holiday season. You know, it's kind of like it's it. There is a sense of humor to it. Yeah. Yeah, like another holiday song, like uh, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer or something like that. It's a a novelty type song, yes. And and some people liken it to, uh, oh, what is it? Merry Christmas from the Family or something. Who who sings that? Um, There's another song out there. It's not the same, but probably in the same vein. But it, it's meant to be taken lighthearted, you know. It, I mean, because mm-hmm. you know, when families get together down in this area, you know, the first time politics or stuff comes up, there's going to be a big, <laughs> be a big argument, <laughs> you know. Uh, not, not, but not so much my family, but, but uh, I, I can, I can remember when I was a kid, we would go to my aunt's house on Sunday in Edmonton. And my mother, her twin sister, her younger sister, and my Aunt Bertha, they'd all get around this, this uh, hot point stove, and they were getting some crazy arguments over stuff. It was mostly probably politics. I don't know now. But, I mean, they would get to arguing, you know. And it, it, it just takes me back to that, really, even though it wasn't the holidays. That I think they would have they would have these little discussions every Sunday, <laughs> you know. Okay, and, and uh, like take, take for example, like uh, in a song "Heart and Soul." That's uh, Doug Doug singing yeah. that one. And yeah. it, what do you call your um, is that like uh, a rockabilly influence yes. you're playing on that song, or like uh, uh, what's the, the right term? No, I think you're. I think you're right on it, Mark. Um, oh, that, that no, that's that's very rockabilly-ish. Um, that that actual song right there. Now that that song right there was written. Gosh, I don't even know when. Because uh, Anthony Kenny helped write that, and he left the band. Uh, oh God, when did he leave the band? Two thousand five. So that could have been, that could be twenty years old. That song right there, and there was a demo tape of it. And when we listened to the the music we had on the demo, we weren't real happy with it, and we just ended up taking it into this groove right here. And to me, it felt battered. You know, and so it, yeah, it's, it's definitely got a rockabilly slant to it for sure. Okay, and, and um, yeah, 
I like Susanna. Uh, that's you know, okay. kind of like one that those. Uh, um, you know the trials and tribulations of touring type. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, was, uh, I thought that was yeah, you know, just a, a really good, good one. I, I'm, I'm sure, sure if you play that one live, that would go over really well. But, but um. I'd say it'll be one of them we work up. And, and a little insight on that song, Doug wrote the most of that after he heard about LaVon Helm passing away. And, of course, you know, LaVon Helm was one of the – he was a drummer and one of the singers in the band. And LaVon mm-hmm. was from – he's from Arkansas. Doug's from Missouri. Doug said he was washing his clothes when he heard about it, and he, and he just started writing that song. And that's uh, how it came about. Um that's one of the better, better songs. I well, it's, it's really, really a good song. Really a good song. Yeah, I agree I, with you. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I uh, did want to uh, yeah, just highlight that uh, song. I, I, you know, that if my word really means anything, that's probably one of the. Yeah, I, I'd say that's the uh, top song on the new CD. I, I really enjoyed it. You know, it's a heart, heartfelt type song. Yeah, it, it is. It's, uh, it's got something, it's got a lot of heart in it. Um, I think any musician can relate to it, you know, uh, or anybody that, uh, you know, whether somebody drives a truck or whatever, you know, when you have to be away and traveling, Everything, but but it's just a good song, and it's very sparse, very sparse. Uh, you know, we didn't overdo it on the production on that one, but it just it comes through. It's really Doug did a great job. You know, and Doug's the main yeah, it, vocalist. It, you know, he's the main. I mean, he's really the sound of the Headhunters. You know, vocally, I think he, you know, because he's just carrying on what his brother did back early on. Um, even though everybody else sings a little bit, I think I think you got to have a felt singing, you know. Yeah. Um, oh. Um, what was that quote? You said something, and I just. Um, uh, I'll, I'll I'll come back to it with you. You do bring in a oh I know, I know what uh, what I was going to say on um, the 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 actual song that's a fact Jack uh, mm-hmm. and you're looking at you know there are are a lot of things going wrong but. You know, we really should be working together to mm. uh, put divisions behind us. Uh, you know, how do, that song's almost like a nearly a metal type song. It's a, it, it's a harder rocking song, but yeah. I, I, how, how did you create those? 
uh, like more uh, ominous tones um uh, going into that like harder rock type sound well it it, it it's in d the song's in d of course we haven't <laughs> it's funny mark we haven't played it since we were uh, worked it up on the floor you know, Richard had the uh, the basic idea down that we worked up the uh, you know the mind. It's not like a shark shark getting ready to attack a boat or something. It's not like Jaws, you know, in the beginning. And speaking of Jaws, my cat just walked in here. I mean, I got this big old tomcat that that is more ferocious than a than a shark. <laughs> but anyway, no man, it's just it's just that uh, that that beginning I think kind of sets the tone. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I played it. there's another song that the Headhunters did on the second album called Wishing Well, and to me it's just an extension of that, really musically. You know, and uh, it is more harder rock. I agree with you. I, uh, uh, it's at times it kind of reminds me of Aerosmith or something. You know. Yeah, yeah. It, it, not... it was. Yeah, it is a harder rock song. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's just a, you know, it's funny how when somebody will bring a, a song in, and, and they probably don't know what it's going to turn out like when we get a hold of it. That's why we, you know, the song is not even completed till we get out on the floor. Um, like, uh, you know, the song "How Could I." Which I may be jumping gun here. I don't mean to be, but though that was, oh, no, that, was actually, that was actually a Blackstone Cherry song that they never recorded. And if you hear their version of it, it is nothing like the way we did it. Uh, the, the demo was very minorish. We just took it more into a kind of a faces. Stones, XL on Main Street, maybe a little Georgia mm-hmm. satellite territory. You know, we just took it somewhere else. And I'm sure they never envisioned hearing it like that. When they heard it back, they're going, well, that's interesting. We never thought about doing it that way. Hopefully they liked it. But getting to uh, – that's a fact, Jack. Richard had that little uh, – he had that idea, I think, with that da-da-da-da-da. Then I came up with that little one part, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, that, you know, that little line right there. And we just mm-hmm. we just went from there. We just went took it uh, where we felt like it needed to go, and uh, pretty intense too. Yeah, it is. The headhunters oh, uh, very pat. <laughs> yeah, it, that was, it 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 demonstrates passion. Yeah. It, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, and since you brought up, uh, how how could I um. That has a a piano on it. Now it is the piano player on that song, the one you toured with at, at uh, the uh, Johnny Johnson uh, uh, f- festival uh, a couple years ago in Fairmont. Is that the same? No, actually, that was Travis. I think uh, you, you're talking about oh. when you. you Rain when the rain it came that big terrible rain. Uh, it, it, yeah, that uh, you know, basically washed the stage away. It was that oh. bad. 
I know, man. No, uh, that was uh, that was Travis Fitzpatrick that played with us on that. Really good piano player, actually. A great oh, guy. He, 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 just a great guy altogether. But uh, uh, he 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 he. Uh, we're friends with his his folks, and uh, and and there, I think, and Johnny had taught him some piano stuff, and so we just took him out on a few dates with us. The guy that's actually mm-hmm. played on "How Could I," his name is uh, Kevin McHenry. Kevin is a great piano player. He's played with um, Delmar McClinton, uh, Brian Setzer, oh. John Oates. He's been out on the road with the. Uh, Oh gosh, he's been on the road with a lot of different people and uh, a lot of session work. And actually, actually, I met I'm I'm probably the first one to have met him. Long story, but we had a little fellow from down here by the name of Tom Baker that moved to Washington when he was in junior high, and evidently he met Kevin McHenry the first day up there. And they become fast friends, and he brought Kevin back to Glasgow one summer, and he brought Kevin over to my house. And he, Kevin must have been about 11 or 12, or maybe 13. So maybe they were in grade school. I, I can't remember now. But I met him, and I never thought much about it. I thought, well, that's a nice little kid. He's interested in music. The next thing you know, man, I'm seeing him pop up playing piano on all these records. I'm going, my God, that kid was serious, <laughs> you know. And uh, – We've used Kevin quite a bit on records and touring. You know, he's he's went on the road with us a few times. Really great, great player. And uh, uh, he's also, I think he's playing on B3 on Lonely Too Long, I think. I think someone's got organ in it, I'm pretty sure. And uh, but he, he's, he's a great player, and he's got a son uh, – is just amazing, man. Just amazing player too. And he's 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 about I don't know twenty years old now. <laughs> you know, but it, it just uh, it apple don't fall too doesn't fall too far from the tree. No, that's nothing seems to be expected. If, <laughs> if your dad was a musician, you're you know, usually have that yeah. uh, talent as well. So, um, you will be uh, playing your the, the Headhunters' first um, Grand Old Opry this Saturday night. Is that, is yes, that right? Okay. Yep. First, so, first time the Headhunters have ever done. The Grand Ole Opry collectively. Um, three of us have done it before with other artists, but uh, the, I, but this is the first time for the band. Okay, or how does that work at you know, such a big venue, prestigious? Um, Venue, uh, you know, artists, you know, uh, you know, really covered the opportunity to play there. 
or, or not, you know, may, maybe cherish would be a better word. But um, you know, how how does that work for you know, su- such a um, major production or or that's a weekly production yeah oh yeah 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 Yeah. they they, they're every week now last year i'm not sure what they did i guess it was just televised a little bit you know um and i mean they're streamed right and then maybe they did maybe they do a friday night deal too i i don't know for sure on that um well there's ways of looking at it now they're not doing it at the Ryman the Ryman is the room uh, is the original place for the, the Grand Ole Opry and that room that's the mother church of country music that is one special mm-hmm. room now I've got to play that room before with the Headhunters we played a Marty Stewart party uh, a Marty party there one time and and that room is really 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 special, man. It sounds great. Now every time I've done the Grand Ole Opry, and I did it about three times in the '80s with McDowell, and it, it, it's the Opry House at Opryland is where we'll be doing it at. And uh, it's uh, I'll have to say I'm not gonna lie to you, man. That's the only gig that's ever made me really nervous. I don't know why. But it's just uh, because I think I don't know maybe the reverence of it or whatever you know. <laughs> now I don't think it'll be so bad with doing it with my own band. I did it with Ronnie McDowell back in the eighties, and uh, Fred did it with Sylvia. Doug did it with Ronnie, and um, I think Doug and his brother did it as Brother Phelps too. But it's a it's a it's a very very cool thing to get to do uh, honestly mark i mean people since they found out about it you think that we'd won the jackpot or something i mean everybody's like hey we're happy that you're doing the grand Ole opry and, and you know and i go I, I got thinking of that i said well we can run across to england and we can pretend we're a rock band and whatever we are and we could do everything but when it comes right down to it i think the crowd that really likes the headhunters are probably the people that go to the Grand Ole Opry. Not, not, I'm not just saying that's the only people that like the Headhunters, but I think the core group of people that like our band probably are people that go to the Grand Ole Opry. You know, they just think they, they think it's the grandest thing we've done in a long time. Well, it's a, uh, cool. Yeah, it's just a great opportunity. You know, yeah. Maybe uh, Bean can uh, s- swing by and pick up Barbara on the way there. <laughs> well, Bean won't be with us on this one, actually. Oh, Bean, Bean is out making nice real guy. money. Yeah, yes, he is. Bean is out driving the bus for the next few weeks. He'll be back with us uh, again. He's out with Eric Church right now. He's driving the bus for him. So. We we have uh, Dave Mason's bus driver driving us down and back. Yeah, Barbara needs to yeah, stay that, off a bus. <laughs> well, it, yeah, we, you know, since, you know, since, since she's uh, so you know close to all the main action, you know. 
you need to get her uh, to one of uh, Jack Pearson's shows as well. Is Jack still doing it? I don't. What is Jack up to these days? Oh, say again, Barbara. <laughs> yeah, she. Yeah, you know, like, like I, I can't hear Barbara. I know you're real close, Barbara. Goodlandsville's real close, or whatever the area you're in there. Um, it's yeah. not far at all. You're, you're not far. Um, well, you know, they're, they're so. Here's what's going on down there. They're so strict. Uh, I was going to take my family. And then when I found out what all they were going to be putting us through that day, I said, y'all be better stay home because we can't even go out front and see people or anything, you know. It's just one of those things. I guess the pandemic has caused everybody to – you know, it, it, it's just crazy right now. Uh, but you, yeah. you brought up Jack Pearson. Jack Pearson. What is Jack Pearson doing right now? I, um, I don't – I don't know if he's resumed his uh, weekly shows. Uh, it seemed like he probably most like most venues they just had to shut down. And last time I checked his website, he uh, you know wasn't uh, performing. I don't know if he resumed uh, recently, but you know, he's he's here in Nashville uh, playing. Or, or had been playing regularly. I, you know, if I was as close to uh, that that venue as Barbara is, I'd I'd be down there uh, watching him. I saw him with yeah the Almonds a few times, and uh, oh, okay. like, yeah, he's just one of the best. He's he's great. He's amazingly great. Um, well, I saw Jack quite a bit up. You know, around 2019, he came to the radio show one night. He's been, he's been to my show twice, or once. I can't remember. Uh, maybe he called in one time. And then, yeah, I think uh, I heard at least one phone call. Yeah, we did come up one time. His uh, nephew brought him up, and uh, then I played. I played with Jack off and on, and we played a, a Stevie Ray tribute. That was the end of 2019. But there was something else we did. I can't remember now. Save my life. Oh, I went to see him at Station Inn, too. Uh, that that was the gig you're probably talking about. He was playing the Station Inn, I think, you know, very, really frequently. I don't know if it was once a week or whatever. Now, I don't think that, that, that they they – they they no longer do electric music there is what I'm told, and I, honestly I don't know if Jack's even getting out of the house that much right now. Well, hopefully, uh, this pandemic's going to end, and you know we can get back uh, to yes. do, doing these going to venues, and you could be uh, back on the road on a more Steady base basis, but uh, yeah. you know, J- J- Jack has a couple great songs on both of Arlen's yeah. uh, the last two CDs, the 
Sly Guitar Summit, you know, which you're on too, and Telemasters. He's yeah. Oh, Jack's uh, Jack's phenomenal. He's a he's a great talent. I, I think I think Jack's just concerned right now. He he he's really you know this pandemic's got him like got a lot of people scared. You know, he's just don't yeah. want to get out right. You know, he don't want to get out. Uh, and speaking of Arlen, when when is the uh, John Sebastian and Arlen Roth CD coming out? Um, is that, it's is that pretty soon? it is out. Is it out? Can you get it now? Yep. Yep. Oh, I did. It's know a good that. one. I, uh, man, that's something I would, I do need to get a copy of. Uh, well, that's, that's cool. So so it can, it can be bought now, then, right? Yes, it can. It okay. it's been out for six weeks or so. I'll be darned. Are they going to do some touring next year? Uh, we're hoping to um, get him on the road, and hopefully, John will uh, join join him. They did uh, one show at the Grand Old Opry oh. in early October. That's about right. That's that's correct. So they actually played the Opry. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. They come back down. I love to see them together, you know. I, I hope that you think they might come back to Nashville sometime and spend some time maybe two or three days. Um, I I don't know about that, but um, I I hope they do. Just they had a great time, and I'm sure they'd love to connect with even more people. Yeah, the little bit of video I saw of them playing together was really terrific. You know, playing "Welcome Back, Carter" together. (laughs) Great man. Well, I'd love to see them live. I, I really, you know, uh, well, I'll, I'll be I'll be looking for that CD. I just didn't realize somehow I missed uh, from being on the road and everything. I must have missed it being out. You know, I knew it was coming. It, it, it it's it, it it it's worth uh, getting. It, it's uh, some love and spoonful songs, you know, reworked. Oh. Uh, yeah, they did a terrific job. Uh, Maria Muldoor's on it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, oh, I'm a big fan of John. I'm very, you know, Arlen as well. But John, that was the first concert I ever ever attended was in 1966 was the Love and Spoonful. So you can imagine the place that John holds wow. in the heart. Yeah. <laughs> first guy I ever saw play a Love song. I never uh, seen he, Les Paul. Matter of fact, I've got a copy of his Les Paul. Uh, matter of fact, it's sitting here next to me. I, it's strange we're talking about it. I, it uh, gives the liberty of his old Les Paul that belongs to Gordon Kennedy now, you know, and uh, I, I happen to have one. It, he, after listening to that CD and you know, becoming more familiar with uh, John's legacy, just uh, 
being a like just solo artist at Woodstock. Yep. What what a fantastic career he's had, and you know the legacy that he is going to leave is just uh, yeah. phenomenal. Absolutely. Yeah, he's written some of the greatest songs of all time, man. Um, and such a sweet guy. Uh, I, I, I'm blessed to have, have to have met him and got to know him a little bit. And because um, you know, when I was a kid, 1966, Memorial Auditorium, watching the Love and I was, I was 13 years old. I never in my wildest dreams ever thought that I'd ever meet the man, you know. And uh, we've actually, I've had him on my show a couple times. And, uh, and sometimes and on the phone, and he's just a, just a sweet person. Him and Catherine, his wife, they're both really great people. And, yeah, you're right. He's, he's, got, he's got such a legacy. Uh, what, a, what, a, what a great songwriter. I love. And I love the way he plays that Mississippi John Hurt style guitar stuff. He does; it's it's wonderful. And, and oh. oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, and his harmonica playing too, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's he's on a auto harp. He's great. He's great on that too, man. He's just just so talented, you know. Yeah, and he did a lot of work with the Doors. Yeah. As well, and it's like, oh my gosh, and that, you know, that's like, yeah, being, you know, on playing dates with the Doors and doing stuff with, you know, so supposedly he did more in the studio than a lot of people realize, but yeah, you know, just having a chance to work in like that realm is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, you know, geez, I'd, you know, I'd be in awe of something like that. Uh, I, I, that's just something that is. Oh, yeah. I, 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 just lose. You know, there's like no words for it. And he was there. Yeah, he was there, man. He was he was a, he was right in the midst of it, and we were lucky that we were breathing the air and still and and uh, hearing this stuff as it was happening. Of course, he was there as it was being created, right there on the spot. But uh, yeah, you know, it's amazing. Yeah, John John's got quite a legacy. I mean, he came out of the folk scene in Greenwich Village, you know, uh, hanging out with mm-hmm. Dylan. He knew Bob Dylan. Uh, he came up with the jug band music, uh, and uh, he knew a lot of the, you know the folks that went on to to start the Mamas and the Papas. He knew all those people, and uh, of course, when the Love and Spoonful hit it, uh, what I remember, do you believe in magic? When it came out in the summer of 1965, uh, God, what a what a sound! Hearing that sound come over an AM radio when you were a kid, you know. And uh, I just I love that band, uh, the Love is Love them. Zal, John, 
Joe and uh, let's see, who am I missing here? Joe and Steve. Steve, the bass player. Steve Boone, Joe Butler, Val Yanovaski, and John Sebastian. I mean, they're to me, they're about like the Beatles to me, you know. You know, I, great. Yeah, th- that uh, uh, spoonful songbook CD that John and Arlen did it, it, it just is a, a terrific CD. I highly recommend that uh, for, for anyone. It, it, it's just uh, well done. Yeah, I will. You really can't get any better. I will actually check into that when we get off with later on. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll get me a copy of that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, it, it, I'm a big. Uh, I love Arlen too, as you know, and them two. Mm-hmm. Them, two them, them two are neighbors, pretty much, right? Or are they? All right. They I. I think they're pretty close to. Are kind of pretty close, close together. Yeah, they don't live that far apart, you know. But you know, you know, of course, when you think about John Sebastian, when he came out of the Love and Spoonful, they were one of the top bands for about two, three years, mm-hmm. and he went straight into the singer-songwriter thing, and he did that really well. He, you know, he was he was just uh, as well versed as a uh, you could put him on. Like I say, anybody could hold a crowd at Woodstock like he did with just a guitar. Yep. <laughs> That's pretty amazing, you know? Pretty amazing. He wasn't even and, he wasn't even scheduled to be there. No. <laughs> no. It may it may be maybe uh he was in maybe his head was in just the right space <laughs> that he could do that. I don't know, man. He's got the best smile on his face during that whole thing. You know, true. Uh, <laughs> I love it. There's, there's just something about that. <laughs> I love that guy, man. He's just, he's just too cool. And uh, then what's so funny too? You, you, you skip ahead about 1976. You know, he's been recording for um, whatever label he was on at the time. I'm, I'm sorry, like what label it was. Uh, they were getting ready to drop his contract. And he, you know, he was he was on his last last recording, and then Cotter becomes a huge hit off that last album, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so the cards are all in his hands, you know. <laughs> so that's a little that that's one case a little justice done for an artist right there, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, you know on. Oh. Arlen's uh, slide guitar summit. You, you know, you do uh, two songs: the uh, Peach Picking Time in Georgia and yeah. uh, Amazing Grace. And then yeah. mm-hmm. you, you did uh, an Amazing Grace also with your Mighty Jeremiah's uh, band. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's switch gears and go over to oh, the yeah. Mighty Jeremiah Band. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you, you. That's just one one CD that you 
did. Is that correct? Yes, we did. We did one CD, and that was. Um, it really didn't start out as a CD, anything particular, because the recording of it. If I'm, if I, I'd have to really think this through. Crazy. I think the initial recording must have started around 1992, and and, and oh, I just that. I, I I was just going to barracks. This is after the, the you know the the original Headhunters with Ricky and Doug imploded in June of '92, and uh, we had to put the band back together. You know, uh, Doug was gone from the band for a little bit. If you, if you look in the you know, they both left to do the Brother Phelps thing for a while. Doug came back, I, I can't tell you when, 1995, 96. He was gone about two, three years. And uh, so I was just going over barracks with with a couple of guys for fun, just knocking out things just, just to have something to do, you know, because there was mm-hmm. a lot of stress going on at that, that point. And uh, I, so after about two or three you know, we recorded a few things. So I wonder what Jimmy Hall would sound like singing on two or three of these songs. And I brought him up to sing on John the Revelator and a couple other things. And I went, oh, my God, this is great. Uh, I need to turn this. And, you know, this this may not have been until, like, honestly, it never was meant to be an album or anything in particular. So probably around 2000 is when I started thinking, well, this could be a, a project, you know, that we could release. And you know, it's got it's it's gospel overtones, and it's mm-hmm. you know strong, you know, positive message. And uh, we weren't beating people over the head with the Bible by no means. It, it, the album was it's an album that some good old boys can go out and get drunk on Saturday night <laughs> and listen to it and get a good message out of it, you know. Hopefully they won't run off the road, and uh, but you know I don't think it was released uh, officially until about 2005 or six I, I think. Uh, look at the back of the album. You know, you know the funny thing is, Mark, the album is right now we're out of stock on it. Uh, I just now got word from from the manufacturing company in Cincinnati. I've been trying to get a hold of these people for for about a month. And then finally yesterday, I got a response back from them. And so I'm hoping it may not be till January. I should have more copies back in stock, I hope, you know. You know, because, I mean, I was down to like five copies here recently, you know. All of a sudden, people start ordering the things, you know. I, <laughs> you know. But it'll be back in stock here. And then who knows, you know. Could me and Jimmy, me and Jimmy are playing together uh, December twenty eighth in Bowling Green uh, with some of the Jeremiah's. It's a we do a benefit every year called Jam Bodians. Sam Bush shows up, comes. I I do it. Uh, Joe Nell Monster <laughs> and different people, and uh, we usually we we'll end up doing three or four things from the Jeremiah's album that night, you know. But that album. Go ahead. No, I, I, I was just gonna say, so it, it it just really just started off as yeah, you know, just to, to, to something to pass the time, but yeah, you, know, you yeah, 
bring in some really uh, amazing artists, you know, like Jimmy Hall. He he has uh, his own uh, legacy. uh, um, Bramlett is on. I'm sure she had lots of amazing uh, Clapton and George Harrison. And pro- you know probably some Dickie Betts uh, yeah, I, I, stories yeah. to tell. Yes, yes. <laughs> I've had her on my radio show, but but in the studio, yeah, she told two or three uh, every 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 person you mentioned just then. I heard her talking about you know, and uh, she even <laughs> she even told one story about knocking Elvis Costello off a bar stool. <laughs> yeah. I think you can look that up. I think anybody wants to look that up out there can look it up. <laughs> Evidently, he said something derogatory about somebody, and she didn't like it. And I think she knocked the crap out of him. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, probably rightfully so. He probably said something he shouldn't have said. But, yeah, she she told some great stories. I had her at the studio one day, and she sang on some stuff. Now, there was an outtake uh called Taking Back My Name that didn't make the album. And I think you can look that up on YouTube under Mighty Jeremiah's Taking Back My Name. And it's out okay. there somewhere. So it's a whole different trip altogether. It's, it's a good uh, – Kevin McKendry's on piano on that too, by the way. You know, and uh, that track mm-hmm. probably should have made the album probably. Uh, what I'd like to do eventually is – Remaster it. I don't know about remixing. I think I think maybe just remastering it would be fine, and maybe get some bonus tracks together and uh, maybe release a, a extended version of it somehow. You know, yeah, two two CD. Yeah. I, I, that's an. I I really like that one too. And you know, you have uh, Phil Keggy on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, he, great. Yeah, he's he's been doing uh, a little bit of every type of music for uh, over fifty years. Mhm, mhm. Um, he he's a he's kind of uh, uh, local to me. Uh, his yeah, that's right. His status in the you know region is you know legendary it, 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 I, I i've I unfortunately never been able to uh see one of his performances i i'd i'd like to but well, i i'm mark, just uh yeah how old are you mark I almost ask? 55 uh, okay okay i'm 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 much older than you um you missed out on Glass Harp because you're, 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 you were too young for Glass Harp. Uh, but now right. you grew up. You grew up not too. I mean, in the area that that, that Phil Kagi sprang out of. Uh, yeah, w- mm-hmm. w- did, did, where did you grow up at? In in uh, West Virginia's northern Panhandle. Well, that's not, so. How far would like. Uh, Oh, Probably God. hour and a half. He's from two Ohio, hours right? from Youngstown. Yeah. Is that where he's from? Yeah. 
Yeah, yep. man, you grew up in the area where his legend looms large, you know. Uh, it does. Man, well, here's the deal. When when I was in high school in Edmonton, only way we had to find out about new music was radio. And if we're we, where I grew up, I had we could we were lucky if we could get national TV. Very seldom that we get national. We had a station out of Bowling Green we could get. Uh, all we had when you know when I first started listening to music, all we had was AM radio. Uh, so there was an underground radio show out of WCFL in Chicago called the Subterranean Circus that came on every Sunday night, uh, and the DA was Ron Britton. So I would hear things on that. But but I would go to Louisville because I'm from Louisville originally, and uh, I would go to Louisville, and I would spend time with my old school friends up there. And I remember specifically being in Louisville. For Thanksgiving one year, it had to be around 1970-71, and these guys said they saw this guitar player play at Ludlow's Garage in Cincinnati, and mm-hmm. he made his guitar sound like a violin. They were talking about Phil Kagey, who they were talking about, because they talked about the band Glass Harp. They saw Glass Harp, and uh, and I remember that, and it stuck with me. So in 1972, there was a little radio shop here in Glasgow, sold stereos, records, TVs, radios, whatever, you know, and a few musical instruments. And they had a bunch of uh, uh, radio copies of, you know, like promo records, 45s. And they had a glass harp record, Village Queen and uh, what's the other side? Child of Fantasy, I think. And I went, oh, God, this is the guy they were talking about. And I... So I took the record home, and I went, okay, I, I like this, this band, you know. And uh, I could tell the guy was a great guitar player. Then a couple months later, I bought their second album called Synergy. So mm-hmm. man, I became a fan of Phil Kagey. You know, by 72, I was a huge fan. And it's one of those situations, uh, I got a friend that lives in uh, Oil City, Pennsylvania. You know where that's at probably, right? Right, yeah. You got a friend up there, Neil Williams. I don't even know how we met. There was a girl that wrote for a, I know how we met. There was a girl named Anastasia, and she wrote for a paper out of Ohio. And I was she interviewed me one time for the Headhunters. And I got talking about Glass Harp, and she was a big fan too. And I said, well, I would love to find some Glass Harp recordings and she turned me on to Neil Williams who had a bunch of bootlegs live you know and uh, and in return Neil uh, hooked me and Phil Kagey up and uh, and Phil's just a sweetheart I mean he's he's like Jack Pearson they're just both great 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 players as you know Phil has been in the Christian music uh, uh, market for many years Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but he does everything, man. Not just Christian music. He can do anything. He can do anything. But I was lucky enough to get him on, uh, on a couple of tracks on the, on the Jeremiah's thing. It, it was it was wonderful having him. Oh, it, yeah, I, and he's on uh, Revelator, and he also yeah, yeah. 
does the amazing great uh yep yep he's on amazing that, okay. great revelator I, I don't think he's on anything else you know, I've got some other recordings he and I have done together, but we haven't done anything with them yet, uh, like little instrumental things. Um, oh, he's such a sweetheart. Good, great guy. Great person. Yeah. Um, I do like his Ravenna CD. That's something really unique. Which one's that now? R- Ravenna. It's uh, like a lot of acoustic. Uh, no, no, if I've heard that one, I've got a lot of music by him. Is that is that uh, fairly recent by chance? Yeah, it 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 it, it, it it's a, a new CD. Um, if if you like, you know, kind of like that acoustic music, hypnotic acoustic music that you know. Relaxes you, inspires you, you know that kind of sure. thing. Sure. It, it's he, he it does an excellent job. Oh, on, is, he's amazing. He's so creative, so creative. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I really like that one too. I I I uh, ho- hope that uh, Glass Harp can uh, you know. Do a few more performances. I just you know, like to see him at at some point. You, you, but, need um, to, you need to try to catch Glass Harp. Yeah, John and Dan and Phil are, are really great together. They're great together. They were so far ahead of their time when they played together, you know. And um, I never saw him live till later on. I never saw him live, you know, uh, in, in the early seventies. By the time I got hip to him. They were pretty much breaking up, you know. And I mean, I had, I had, like I said, I had friends that see them playing and talking about how great they were. But and I've seen them now. I mean, yeah, when they get together, they're still on top of it, man. They're they're wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, and, and since we're talking about uh, so much gospel music, you get, sure. um, you know, a lot of these. Uh, you know the dark legends around the blues, but mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. just a couple weeks ago, you, you uh, devoted m- most of uh, your lowdown hoedown show to uh, Mavis Staples, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, she she weaves gospel and blues together. And yeah, she's well, probably in a her own category of you know this this is the pinnacle of uh, achievement in this uh, uh, genre. I mean, she you know the tracks you uh, chose uh, were were. Uh, just fantastic. Thank you. Well, she is amazing, isn't she? Um, um, spring out of the, you know, her her roots are the Staples singers. You know, her her mm-hmm. dad was Pop Staples, and um, I think eventually they just kind of went to a trio. But uh, 
early on, I think there were four of them. You know, I think Cleosis is one of the sisters. I, I may be wrong about that. That may be a guy thing. I'm sorry if I got it wrong, but but there were there were I think early on there were two girls and 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 one of the sons was singing with pops and uh, that stuff is really amazing. Uh, and I guess what really put me on that path for the gospel show was I had Rick Holmstrom on the radio show early November, if you remember. And Rick, yeah. has been, he's been Mavis Staples guitarist for eight years now, eight or nine years. And um, he's a great guitar player too. So many great guitar players out there. And uh, so it got me thinking about Mavis. You know, and I thought, well, maybe I should feature her for the Thanksgiving. That's that's generally what I do every Thanksgiving on the radio show. Thanksgiving week, I'll have gospel music, usually. I usually have a gospel, not always, but usually I end the show with a gospel song. Not always, but I try to, anyway. Take it from the dark side of the light. (laughs) Yeah, but it it, it, it was... yeah, that the show with uh, you know fe- featuring Mavis's um, songs was you know really left an imprint on me. Uh, uh, Bo- Boone was really blown away by it too, and he, you know, he, he I usually let him know, hey, hey, I'm tuned in, like okay, glad you know glad to see you, and you know. Uh, about halfway through it, you know, he, he wrote something about uh, uh, she, you know, she, she's just uh, an amazing singer. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, then, as you know, just a couple weeks earlier, you had Rick, Rick on, and you know, just go to yeah. uh, the next day, you know, go go to YouTube and uh, playing some of his, uh, uh, you know, hit hit the full album and. With the uh, mm-hmm. sunrise, uh, uh, yeah, whatever it's called, something sunrise, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, he, yeah, he he is a uh, Rick is a uh, phenomenal uh, musician as well. So yeah, you know, yeah, you had him as a guest for what about an hour? Yeah, yeah, and I so, had Rick on. The first time I had Rick on was, God, I couldn't remember. I, we never could figure out the year, but it had to be – let me think about this. I, I started doing the show at D93 in 2001. He probably was on my show probably around 2002, 2003, that far back. Early, okay, early on. I, mm-hmm. I saw him play in Louisville. I met him playing in Louisville. I'm pretty sure he's playing with the North Mississippi All-Stars. And lost straight jackets. I'm I can't quite put my finger on it, but I know he was playing with. Uh, pretty sure he was with those guys. And uh, you know, yeah, I had him on about an hour, and uh, you know, I didn't want to have him back on the show forever. And I'm not the I'm not the the most organized person in the world. That's why I need Moon Frog it. <laughs> <laughs> we probably need each other. Actually, you don't know the truth, you know, but but uh, he helps point me in the right direction you know, a lot of times, you know, yeah. and I get 
especially when I get out there touring and things get crazy, you know, I just uh, uh, get chased by He's tail. a good producer. He helps out a lot. Uh, he's really helped a, a bunch, you know, since he got involved last year, you know, and uh, lucky to have him. Have you heard his radio show? Oh, no, I'm going to have to. He does a great job, man. You know, you know he, he uh, does, I'm gonna. Oh, he does a phenomenal job. He does a really, really good job. Now he don't do his live. It's it's recorded. It's two hours on Saturday night on on the Hawks in Edmonton. It's called Rock and Root. It's really good, man. He does a great job. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll have to get a Check link. Check it out. Tell him to yeah, you a link. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna have to send him a message uh, tomorrow. Uh, I want to listen listen to that, uh, but um, you know, I'll, I'll have to get uh, Boone as a guest at some point too. Um, yeah. And let's see what with um. Yeah, Jimmy. Uh, since we're talking about all these, um, oh yeah, guitarists. Yeah, you know, that's yeah you know, the instrument that uh, defines you know blues. Um, but with people like G- you know, you bring in Jimmy Hall. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a mm-hmm. terrific harmonica player. Uh, yeah, you know, you're friends with Charlie Musselwhite. Um, mm-hmm. What makes the harmonica uh, like the second most important blues instrument? You know, I don't know. It's so vocal-like. And it might be just it might be maybe it's maybe it's really maybe it could be right there with guitar maybe it's not second you know I wonder they go together listen, they they do they're perfect together aren't they uh, when you listen to Little Walter who pioneered was one of the pioneers for amplified blues harmonica playing you know and his style of playing really inspired Dwayne Allman's slide playing. Oh. You know, a lot of people think, yeah, yeah, I mean, Dwayne Allman, uh, it's well known that he pretty much copied a lot of uh, Elmore, not Elmore James, but he did copy Elmore James a little bit on slide, but Dwayne was copying a lot of Little Walter licks on the harmonica licks, you know, just, just transposing them over to slide guitar. And, um, you know, when you listen to that style, which heavily influenced Paul Butterfield, Charlie Musselwhite, Kim Wilson, people like that, you know, later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got Sonny Boy Williamson, number number two. There's two different Sonny Boys. So I'm talking about uh, Rice Miller from Arkansas. Uh, he, uh, his harmonica playing was not really amplified 
he just kind of played into a microphone. And it sounds almost like very vocal like it sometimes. And and I can tell you I can tell you about another another guy if you want to check him out. He's not really known as a blues player, but he's from this area I'm from. He's from the same county where I live now, Barron County, Kentucky. His name was Salty Holmes. Salty Holmes, H O L E S, and he okay. recorded. He recorded back in the. Uh, I'm going to guess fifties, forties, fifties, and. He had a song called Mama Blues, and the harmonica actually talks. <laughs> he makes the harmonica sound like it's talking, you know. And I guess Salty went on yeah. to be a like a, a cowboy actor or something like that, you know. Uh, I don't know much about him other than he's kin to the Holmes family down here. You know, he lived here when he was young. But I don't know. I, th- I think to answer your question – is this so vocal-like. And I think that's what is so appealing to any instrument and what 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 even drew me to guitar, especially when I've heard Eric Clapton and Hendrix, is that the guitar took on a real vocal characteristic, as B.B. King's style does, you know. And mm-hmm. I think harmonics, right. they're, they're just very, they're just an extension of the voice. A, a great blues player do the call and response thing, you know, where they'll sing something, then they'll play it back, you know, uh, right. like BB King. And, and, and it's just an extension of their voice. So, uh, of course, piano players might argue with us, you know. But I, well, I don't it, think piano sounds sound like a voice, do you? <laughs> no, but... Uh, yeah, you worked with uh, Bass, Johnny Johnson, and phenomenal. Phenomenal. He made us play like real men. <laughs> he just uh, he knew how to pull the band back into a more grown up groove. You know, he was amazing. But uh, you know, man, I've got to also play with a lot. You know, like Jimmy Hall on harp. Uh, got to know James Harmon who passed away this past year, or was it last year? I don't know. Everything's a blur now. Uh, there's so many good harmonica players out there. You know, Kim Wilson, so many great ones. Yeah, and, and you know, Jimmy played in that um, um, uh, the Betts Hall, yeah. Lavelle, and Trucks thing. Uh, yeah. All they did, all they did was tour. They never made a Mm-mm. studio CD. They just have the one professionally done um, live recording. But it, you know, Jimmy plays uh, sax on uh, you know, Dickie's signature, uh, Jessica. Mm-hmm. It, it, J- Jimmy is just so talented. He mm-hmm. makes a, the, the sax work in that arrangement. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And, it, it, you know, what's that like dealing with someone who is just so 
multi-talented in a sax or harmonica. His singing is you know, legendary. We just uh, keep on smiling. I, he, he just brought so much to yeah. the mighty well, Jeremiah's. Oh yeah, well yeah, absolutely. He was the one that he was the one to make that into a real project because you know as we started out talking, uh, it was originally me going in the studio with my stepson John on drums, uh, usually Dean Smith on bass or whoever was available, and we were just 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 jamming in the studio and writing little music beds. We didn't know what we were going to do with them. There, there wasn't meant to be a gospel album. But it, it it turned, you know, when we done John the Revelator, and there was a couple of other things. I thought, you know what, you know, this this needs to be more of a gospel type album, and we could we don't have to be all gospel, but we won't have anything really crazy on here, you know. Um, you know, when I say crazy, it won't be any. Uh, well, what am I trying to say? I, you know, I, I want it to be more of a positive thing, you know, more of a positive message, you know. If it, like we did have a love song on there. We had a – that's how strong my love is, an Otis Redding song. And, um, mm-hmm. it's, you know, we just – I just – somehow there's a spirit on that project, and it just won't die. People – you know, a lot of people don't know about it. And um, uh, eventually, eventually we're going to have to. I think I'm just going to have to do. I mean, I am going to. I'm getting more copies printed up, but eventually I'm going to have to revisit the thing and probably remaster it and and do some uh, maybe do two or three bonus tracks or something. You know. Uh, I I've really enjoyed. Uh, listening to it, and uh, it was uh, highly praised by Charlie Daniels. And it, Charlie, yeah. it seems like he, it, it, his spirit is yeah. continuing to inspire you. What, um, what, what was Char- Charlie like in w- real life? Bigger than life. <laughs> he was a big man with a big heart. Uh, he just has a spirit that drew people into what he did. You know, Mark, you know, you can practice. You can become the greatest guitarist, the greatest piano player, or the, the greatest musician. You know, unless you have that God-given spirit to draw people in, uh, as we say down here in the South, the anointing, so to speak, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that is what draws people in. And he had that in abundance. Now, he would tell you that he was the greatest violin player in the world, but people love to hear Charlie get that thing out and play The Devil Went Down to Georgia or play it on the South, going to do it again, you know. Mm-hmm. But he he just had a God-given spirit. And, and he brought people together in a, in a positive way. And I think anybody. Well, uh, I was just going to say. Oh, good. Go, go, go ahead. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll let you finish. 
Well, I was just saying, you know, I think he just kind of shows us that music is, you know, the, the perfect vehicle to bring people together in a positive way, especially in a time now when people are, are so divided, you know. But he he just mm-hmm. always brought people together, you know. And uh, and if you saw Charlie, which the last time I actually saw Charlie in person was uh, the fall of 2019, and uh, I didn't know that was going to be the last time I saw him. But, uh, you know, he was always the same every time you saw him, you know. And I was lucky enough to get up and jam with him a couple times, play with him. He was he was a fine fellow. Oh, his uh, uh, the South's going to do it again is a big regional hit. Uh, you know, just with the uh, line, uh, "Lay your hand on a Pittsburgh Steeler fan." Yeah, um, I think that's the line from that song. But yeah, that's uh, you know, played on DVE all the time uh, yeah. during Steeler season. Uh, yeah, he he's uh, very well liked in the greater Pittsburgh area. Oh, he's a, he was the best. He was such a great person. Uh, Jimmy knew him way before I did. Jimmy, you know, I, you know, of course he started with Wet Willie, and they, I'm sure they did several shows together. You know, Wet Willie and Charlie Dan. Well, you know, Jimmy was around everybody, Almond Brothers, uh, mm-hmm. Charlie Daniels, Van Leonard, Skinner. I mean, you know, he was around all the heavyweights, Marshall Tucker. Matter of fact, Jimmy and the Wet Willie band helped discover the Marshall Tucker band, the Spartanburg. You know, and uh, just amazing. Uh, and of course, Charlie. I think Charlie was known to a lot of the folks. A lot of those guys. They cut. They, he, he was like the Godfather. Everybody, if they had a problem, they could always talk to Charlie. You know, and I think he was like everybody's uncle. That's what he always felt like to me. <laughs> kind of like a. That's a nice way to be but, remembered. Yeah, yeah, he was just a great guy, and of course, uh, I uh, I bought a few things from his estate. You know, I bought a couple of road cases, and I bought one of his old amps, a Mesa Boogie, and uh, his guitar tech. Oh, his guitar tech that started with him in the seventies, Roger, um, Roger Campbell. You know, I'm still in touch with him. <coughs> excuse me, quite often. You know, I mean, all them guys. You know, uh, they, they were a lot of them were with him for years. A lot of them, you know, uh, my buddy mm-hmm. Bruce, Bruce Brown, the guitarist. Uh, he he started with him around '89, I think. Now Bruce is pretty much retired now. He he said he had offers to go out on a bus and do the same again, but he says I'm he's done with uh, packing a suitcase. <laughs> you know. Since, um, you know, you just mentioned uh, the uh, Marshall Tucker Band, uh, the Headhunters are going to uh, be on the bill with them next spring, is that right? 
I haven't heard. It, it, uh, I, not, oh. I, it wouldn't surprise me. Did you see it somewhere? I thought I saw it on your website. Could or is they, it on uh, – it might have been on uh, the, the Marshall Tucker website and said uh, you know, the headhunters were going to be playing a date. Uh, is oh, okay. Dave playing with, with them too? Uh, now, who are, we t- are you talking about? Dave Mason. Yes. Yeah, Dave Mason is on the sh- uh, on a lot of those tours. I I didn't know we were actually playing a show uh, with Marshall Tucker. I hope we are. Uh, if you saw it, I guess we are. You know. Love anytime. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, Dave Mason. We we thought we might get some of those shows. Uh. And I maybe 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 they they worked out a couple or something. I hope so. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm scrolling through it real fast. I um, might have is it in Indiana? Could be. They were looking one of the. I know one of the dates they were looking at Atlanta. And I don't think it's the Opry House, oh. I don't think. Did you find um, it? March 11th, Shippen, Shawana, oh. Sh- Indiana. I'm so, oh, sorry I butchered that. No, no. So, so are we playing with Marshall Tucker and Dave Mason? Um, it's – I think it's just you. Uh, Dave is going to be with them on – March 10th in Peoria, Illinois. Okay. But that uh that's uh it's advertised as their 50th anniversary uh tour. Yeah, it's big honor to be part of such a absolutely uh, legendary band. Yeah. They are. Oh, I saw I saw the original Marshall Tucker um, 1974. Or so. Well, here here's the deal. I'm not sure the year is seventy four seventy five was Derby Eve Jam in Louisville, Kentucky. And it was Wet Willie opened the show. Then Marshall Tucker no, Wet Willie, Charlie Daniels band, then Marshall Tucker. I mean that was like it was probably seventy four, that's what I'm guessing. It was you talking about a great mm-hmm. show. Sounds like it. It was. It was wonderful. That's the first time I ever seen Jimmy Hall live, too. Yeah. How, how, how's that when you, you know you see someone you know kind of like a kid, and you know like thirty mm-hmm. years later, you know, you're actually working with the, that person. Well, it's uh, what's the, what's the word? Uh, uh, surreal, or maybe is that overused? I'm not. Sure. It, it's strange because. When it's I first heard applicable. Jimmy, when I, when, yeah, when I heard Jimmy Hall, the first time I ever heard him was on an album called Dripping Wet, and it's a live album. And I thought, my God, this guy's mm-hmm. one of the greatest singers I've ever heard in my life. And I, I've just become a huge fan of the guy, you know. And I never thought it – there again, I never thought I'd ever meet him, you know. And uh, so – you know, in 
how all this kind of started. When we did the first Johnny Johnson album, the guys wanted harmonica. And I suggested Jimmy Hall, and everybody was all for it. And so I contacted Jimmy, and, he, and uh, we got him to play and sing back up on, on the, the project uh, with Johnny Johnson, you know, that'll work. And, uh, of course, we became fast friends, and then that kind of led into the the Jeremiah's. And then me and Jimmy also did another thing I, I played on called uh, Build Your Own Fire. Uh, it's a tribute to uh, – it's a Muscle Shoals tribute to Eddie Hinton. And uh, you could check that out too. It's it's nothing really like the Jeremiah's, but it's similar, maybe in a way. Okay. Like Zoho Records. <laughs> Pretty cool. I'll, I will look for that. And yeah, build, yeah, build your own, build your own fire, Jimmy Hall. And, and you know, just uh, on on Monday of. Uh, yeah, Warren Haynes on, and he was talking about, um, you know, he, when he was growing up, you know, he, he's listening to the Almonds versions of, uh, mm-hmm. what, like, Tr- Trouble No More. You know, it's, yeah, that's sure. their cover of a Muddy Waters song yes. then you know once he gets in the Almond Brothers you know, he, he he's you know he's talking about it you know what's the original version of uh you know this song I'm pl- I, I'm covering and yeah you know, so he's going uh, tracing the song uh back uh mm-hmm. to what uh 450s or so um, mm-hmm. you know, a couple weeks prior to that, when you had uh, Sue Foley on, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she I, was saying, I, you know, I, it, it, almost like the same thing where mm-hmm. uh, uh, before a show, she, you know, she's uh, putting on uh, John Lee Hooker's CD or something. It, uh, when people, you know, you have your guests calling in, mm-hmm. um, and they're always, always, you know, they're at the to- you know, tops of, you know, their professions, but a lot of what they say is that they really never stop. Listening yeah. and learning to the original uh, exactly. blues guys. Yeah. Yeah, I think. You know, I, I, you, know you never want to. Yeah, you always. As a matter of fact, I learned something from Warren the other night. I mean, I learned something all from a lot of different people, but uh, even from Sue. And I, that's why I like doing these things, because you're always going to pick up something, you know. That you didn't know that he brought up a the song uh, Brother Bill, the last clean shirt, which I remember by Cactus. And the, the sad thing is when Cactus did it, they didn't credit the writer. They 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 said they wrote it. That's the reason I never could. I, that's the reason I never knew it was an old blues standard. You know, 
I'm sure they finally got sued sued over it. I, I would think, but you know the, the the beauty of growing up in the era of the the late '60s and early '70s when acts like the Almond Brothers, Cream, Hendrix, and different people were doing these covers. You'd look on these albums and you go, "Well, who's McKinley Morganfield? Well, that's Muddy Waters, mm-hmm. or Chester Burnett, that's Alan Wolf." And then, you know, and then when we heard Almond Brothers do um, Stormy Monday Blues, you know, we, you know, we, we went back and discovered T-Bone Walker doing it. And, um, oh gosh, it just goes on and on, man. So many great, you know, even a band like Cactus did Parchment Farm, which was a song by Mose Allison, who's not a, a, a an old blues artist, but he um, was kind of a jazz Jazz artist, I guess. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. there you go. And, you know, they did a great version of it. But uh, these bands would do really great things with these songs. But I think I think really the, the best way to, you know, we can all listen to Jimi Hendrix, and, and I'm as guilty as the next guy. You know, listen to Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, Peter Green, uh, you know, and, and we love them, but I think by going back to the original artist and doing your own interpretation is probably a faster way of finding your own true voice, you know, Uh, because those songs are just, songs stand on their own. You know, if we heard Hendrix doing Come On Part One, uh, which was on Electric Ladyland from 68. When you go back and listen to the ver, you know the original version by Earl King, which is really good, you know you could see how he took his took that and he just brought it forward to his own thing, you know. Yeah, I, I just think it's just uh, you know uh, going back to the original, going back to the well is the way to go, so to speak. Uh, as much as I love Stevie Ray Vaughan, and who is a phenomenal player, mm-hmm. you know a lot of there's been a lot of kids inspired by Stevie Ray but and and therefore there's a lot of people that there's a few kids out there that sound like him, you know um, but if you go back if you go back there's nobody going to sound like Muddy Waters you're just going to have to do the best you can and interpret that song the best you can you know yeah well I, it, it, I thought Warren and Sue just Provided uh, yeah, just a, a great tip for yes the, the you know, younger artists. You know, just uh, and I think that's one of the you know, reasons why I I really enjoy your show so much is you never lose sight of history. And maybe you're not dealing with George Washington and, and that <laughs> kind of history, but it's it. It is an uh, uh, you know the difference between the Delta and Chicago blues and sure. migrations of people up and yeah. down the Mississippi River and uh, it, it, it the those uh, musicians and songs are a part of American history. Yeah. Well, yeah, these them guys were singing about stuff they knew about, what they were experiencing, right. 
they're very you know very emotional and that's the one tip take home write about what you know what you live you know uh, a lot of modern music coming out of Nashville which I'm not putting down but no means but I think a lot of people just get together and write a song that they can get on the radio you know uh, the old country artists uh, man, they were writing about stuff that they knew and what they lived. And I think the blues, I, I think that's where the genres co-mingle and they get together. They're, they're, they're really not that far apart, you know, because uh, they're, they're three or four chords in the truth, you know. It's, it's just what those people knew. Mm-hmm. You know, could Muddy Waters point. hang out with Curtis Tubbs? I think they could. I think they could hang out together just fine because they were, they were real people, you know. Uh, I'd say Ernest Tubbs. I think even me and Warren talked about this the other night. Didn't he say that? He said that Ernest Tubb. He was listening to Ernest Tubb recently. He said it sounded like he was just playing blues. I think is what he said. You know. Uh, yeah, yeah. There was so, so, you know Warren said something like that. You know, gave, gave that little antidote. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. And I love Ernest Tubb, man. I love Ernest Tubb and the Texas Troubadours. As a matter of fact. We went to, you know, when uh, I messaged you today, we were on our way to Cracker Barrel at Cave City, and we were listening to a, a live recording of Ernest Tubb and the band from 1965. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Driving Nails in My Coffin is an old song by Ernest Tubb, which I absolutely love. My wife, she knew every word. <laughs> I think it's there's a live recording. I think every if anybody likes real country music, traditional country music. Ernest Tubb and the Texas Troubadours recorded 1965 at the uh, Spanish Castle, which I think was somewhere around Washington or somewhere northeast up there. I can't remember exactly where it was at, Oregon or someplace. And uh, it's just phenomenal. that His band were just great. Leon Rhodes on guitar, Buddy Charlton on Jack Drake on bass, Jack Green on drums. Man, I'm telling you all these members because because I, I I'm so into them. And uh, Cal Smith on rhythm guitar. <laughs> you know, they were just phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal man. If you want to uh, if you want a uh, a quick lesson in country music, try to find that you can buy. There's a two CD set you can buy. It's called. Uh, I can't. It's nineteen live, nineteen sixty five. I think it's it's just phenomenal. Leon <laughs> Rhodes was an amazing country guitarist, and he played jazz too. The old country guitar players mm. played jazz, blues. They were just great, you know. And, and I, I believe Junior Brown uh, really admired uh, Ernest Tubbs' work. Yeah, yeah. Junior, Junior's into Ernest Tubb for sure. Absolutely. Is Junior still out there doing it? I'm sure he is. Oh yeah. yeah I think he's doing a lot. Um, his uh, yeah, yeah, live streams from his house uh, and uh, other venues around, you know, friends' homes and garages, uh, yeah. other venues. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he, he he's um, you know. Keeping himself uh, safe, but still, 
making a presence known. Yeah, he, uh, he he's very impressive. But we've done we've done one show with Junior. He's really great. And I did another show with him way back in Lexington with my stepson. We we had a, we had a little fun thing we called the Outhouse Raiders, and uh, we opened up for him. And I I always loved uh, is Junior Junior's wife named Tanya or Tanya? Tanya Ray. Yeah, Tanya Ray. She plays rhythm guitar, right? Yes. She's she's great. And she 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 does some singing. She's really good, really good. I, I heard Junior are great together, you know, really are. Mhm. And yeah, yeah, they're uh, very nice people. I had a chance to meet them after oh, okay. a show one time. And, you know, uh, and, um, I forgot to meet him. Yeah, it's yeah, um, yeah. It's not every day you get have a chance to talk with someone who contributed to SpongeBob. But that, <laughs> that's correct. You know, and it's my fault that I didn't go. Uh, you know, I should have tried to meet him and, and his wife when we played with him. But I, I don't know why it didn't work out. Uh, but I, I assume it, I figured they were nice people. I just didn't get a chance to to meet them. You know. Yeah, you know, I I cherish the you know, minute or so I had a chance to chat mm-hmm. with both. I t- uh, Spoke with Tonya Ray a little longer, but uh, yeah, really enjoyed them. But uh, yeah, it, it, w- with um, you know, you, you know, your talk with uh, Warren on Monday, it um, yeah, you know, there's he, he you know, kind of got his what. First break with uh, you know, Dickie's uh, pattern disruptive CD. Then, well, uh, Warren and actually, Matt went would or, or uh, Warren would go on to join the Almonds like mm-hmm. the next year, and then uh, that. But that became uh, the pattern disruptive CD. It, it was that kind of like the nucleus for government mule. Mm, yes. Yeah. Let me think about okay. this a minute. Yeah. Well, uh, Warren. I guess Warren's first break to get him out of Asheville was uh, he when I met him the first time was in 1982. He was playing with David Allen Cole. Uh, oh. Okay. I met him. I met him in uh, spring of 1982 at the Orpheum, and and uh, he was with David Allen. For, you know, he was kind of a fish out of water with that gig. Uh, that wasn't what he was meant to do, but it was good. It was good to get. You know, he he met people. And then you're right. Um, I don't know where he went after David Allen Cole. There must have been something else going on. But he ended up with the Dickie Betts band, as you were talking about, the pattern disruptive. Mm-hmm. And then during that, uh, now was uh, Matt Epps and, and 
Dickie's band as well? I think he was too, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what it says in, on the yeah, yeah, you know, uh, you know cr- credits, and then yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you, know, you know, you played a lot of uh, Warren's new, you know, the Government Mule CD yeah. and, mm-hmm. on Monday, and yeah, he, he's doing you know really well on his his own too, just oh. sounding great. Yeah, Warren Warren has worked really hard, man. I mean, honestly, eight, ten years ago or longer, man, the, the guy was playing with the Allman Brothers. He was playing with Government Mule. He was playing with Phil Lesh and Friends. He was doing his solo career. I, I don't know how the guy done it, man. I don't, I don't know how he kept it all together. Um, you know, he's worked, worked his butt off. I, I think, of course, his main thing now is Government Mule, and he might veer off into a solo thing every now and then. But, uh, man, at one time, that guy was, I don't know how the guy he was doing what he did. Oh, he, he he's another outstanding oh, yeah. uh, musician. But phenomenal. It, it, and, you know, Greg, we have about uh, I think you know, kind of the short show kind of be, uh, became you know, <laughs> close to maxing out the time. Hopefully covered a lot of the stuff you wanted to. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, yeah, and, and I, I'm hoping the listeners learned something about the creative process. And, you know, we covered that on Tuesday's show as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just nice to learn from you – know, yeah, those who are you know, doing it and mm-hmm. achieving success, explaining how how to go about you know, doing it right. But um, mm-hmm. there's uh, you know the the uh, what's going on with the uh, grumpier old <laughs> guitar player project. Well, that was really that, that was just kind of here's what happened. About about a week ago, I was in the basement where I'm at, sitting exactly where I'm at right now on my couch. I I had just finished up a uh, a promo for my radio show, and I sent Billy Gibbons a text. And I and usually you won't, you know, you'll either hear from him or you won't, and that, that's just the way it is. You know, it's Billy Gibbons. He's the reverend. You know, well the phone lit up and it was Billy so we were on the phone about 30 minutes and he said I thought that, that uh, I was going to have Warren Haynes on the radio show and he was bragging on Warren he said well me and you and Warren need to do we need to do a, a podcast called the Grumpy Old Guitar Players you, we'll start a song you and I will start arguing and Warren will come save the day I said sound like a plan to me you know, <laughs> now, will it ever happen? I don't know about that. But, it, but you know, after, usually if Billy tells you something, he's right on. It probably would work. It's it's just a matter of getting everybody in the right place at the right time, you know. Grumpy old guitar players, what a great idea. Because <laughs> all those, those guitar players are just grumpy. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Yes. Well, uh, uh... 
well, when you get the CD done, uh, let me know. I'll, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll get, give it a plug. I, I'm I'm sure that would be a fantastic show. And, and I think it, he was talking. I think he was talking about a, a podcast where we're just sitting around, like a video where we're sitting around playing songs. And uh, who knows? You never know about <laughs> Billy. I may not hear from Billy till. <laughs> You know, it's just, he's in a different orbit, man. He's orbiting around, you know, and every now and then he comes down to our our our, our atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, we're down to about two two minutes left. Okay. And, you know, Greg, Greg, I just want to thank you for being thank a guest. Uh, yeah, you know, the Headhunters are going to be at the Grand Old Opry. This mm-hmm. Saturday night, uh, right. the new CD, yeah, the new CD is that's a fact, Jack. Uh, you know, uh, uh, see what else they're you know, the band is doing by going to uh, you know, KentuckyHeadHunters.net. Uh, did I miss mm-hmm. anything, Greg? Uh, that's pretty much it for right now. I'm trying to think if there's anything. I do a I do a guitar podcast uh, for uh, the live stream for um, uh, together.co. T, let me make sure I tell you this right. It's like 2th. Nah, I'll send it to you. It's together.co, okay. not com. It's not com because you go to com, it, it comes up something really weird. You don't want that. You know, I wish I could. I should have I had that written down for you. Let's see. Two, let's say two T G T R. I think dot co. I think that's what it is. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's 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 fun. I do that twice a month. But uh, other than that, radio show. And then we're all just trying to you know we, we want to get back into the the regular touring thing and just hanging in there. Sounds good. Okay. Well, we're. Almost out of time, so I just want to thank you, Greg, and get the archive to you tomorrow. Take take care, everyone. Thank you so much, and see, see you next week.